listeners, you're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies, a playwriting podcast. Every week we discuss plays we love, interview theater artists, and share our thoughts on playwriting and theater. We're your hosts, Sam Collier and Sarah Cho, and today we have a wonderful guest on the show. Her name is Pepper Chambers. She is an international writer, producer, and educator. She's a member of Circle X Emerging Playwrights Group, Moving Arts Mad Lab, and NTS Playwrights Lab. She uses her voice to scream, shout, or sing about women's issues, social justice, and love. She has been commissioned for LA's Lower Deaf Theater Ensemble, and you can catch her radio play End of the Line about human trafficking in NTS Theater Company's The Zip Code Plays Season 2. Welcome, Pepper. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so glad to have you. Thank you. This is awesome. So glad to be here with you guys. Thank you. Um, I should mention to our listeners that I know you through um, the Moving Arts uh, Mad Lab. Yeah. Um, we're, together in, we're in this year's cohort. Um, yes. So excited to have you. Um, so we'd like to start the show with this question uh, for all our guests is, tell us your earliest memory. What was your life like before theater? Oh my God. Well, <laughs> I, I don't, it's so funny. My parents are divorced and I say this because I think that my earliest memories didn't really start until like not, until eight. And I'm so jealous of some people that have this when I was three, I remember, mm-hmm. because for some reason, I don't have those. So one of the earliest ones, I know that I was like four because of where we were living, I was in um, my parents drove my uh, neighbor who is also my blood sister home, we get to the apartment and it's dark, it's late. And Gina is her name, Gina and I are asleep in the back seat. And um, I remember like we were fake sleeping, Gina and I, my parents were like, okay, girls, you have to get up, time to get up. And we were like, you know, not moving. And then I remember my parents saying, okay, you guys could sleep in the in the car then and getting out and closing the door. <laughs> and that panic of like, no, no, don't leave us. And so I think that that's like an, an early one that, that I do remember. Oh, they called your bluff. <laughs> Man, did they ever? And I'm like, why did that stick in my head? Was it the fear? Was it that, you know, was it that I... I don't know that they left me. I don't know. It was very interesting. So that's one of them. That's one of the like delicious pleasures I remember from being a little, little kid is fake sleeping. I don't know why. But it was like, <laughs> there's something really fun about like, like you're kind of lying, but you're not saying anything. Right. Exactly. And like you get to hear how people behave when you're, when they think you're asleep. Mm. <laughs> but like, honestly, now that I look back on it, I'm not sure actually my parents were ever fooled. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Never fooled. And the thing is, it's like, was it the only thing we actually had control over? It's like, I <laughs> pretend to sleep, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I love it. So that was mine. So then how did you make your way into the world of theater? Oh, I think from that was early it, right? performance. <laughs> yeah, right. For my early performance in the backseat. I um I definitely I'm the oldest kid and I was definitely I do have that feeling of like being on stage, like people watching and, and me having to be good at things. But the I'll say my first one was um two things. In grade school, there was a production, something on stage. I just remember being on stage and we were singing um 
I've got spurs that jingle, jingle, jingle as I go <laughs> riding merrily along and they sing, you know, I don't remember what play that's or what musical that's from, but I remember being on stage singing that. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I love it. And then fast forward to age 12 and this is after the divorce and everything. And um, I my parents took on, my dad and my stepmom took us to a uh, Renaissance fair in Wisconsin. I'm from Kenosha. And they had, they bought us, my brothers, my two brothers, these swords, and they bought me the, that flowery sort of wreath thing, or headband thing. And I went home and wrote a play about a damsel in distress. And then my brothers <laughs> had to rescue me. And then I made them rehearse and I, I gave them lines. And then we performed the play in the backyard under the apple tree. And I made programs and I made my parents watch us. And um, that, I think, was monumental for me. Like, Amazing. Is, right? I loved it so much. I still remember it. I still like feel the energy of like being a on stage in the backyard. So that's, I feel like those are my two main entries into theater. Yeah. Oh, did you ever take theater classes? No, 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 it wasn't. Um, and I don't know why, honestly, we were more of an athlete family sports. So, Mm -hmm. um, and dance, I was, you know, in school, I was doing those things and I'm not sure I, I never either like demanded or asked, but, I didn't do that until way, I didn't take my first acting class until um, in my 20s, mm. my mid-20s. Yeah. Oh, wow. So what, what, um, like, what made you want to take that first acting class? Uh, well, I wanted to be a singer. So I, um, it's a longer story, but I, after college, I worked in investments and I was not happy. And so I did that to please myself and my parents for about six years. And then finally I quit all of that. Um, and in between there, I was dancing for the Chicago Bulls and I became a Chicago Bulls dancer because there was this woman, Paula Abdul, and I was like, well, Paula Abdul is a Laker girl. So if I dance in the NBA, I will be famous too. So I, I followed that journey and I'm singing, you know, trying to be the singer and it's not working. And finally, after a while, I'm like, this isn't working. And a lot of people had said I should try acting. So that was when I finally took the first class, you know, and this was in New York now. I'm really fast forwarding, but I moved to New York because of trying to be a singer. And um, when I put it all away is when I took my first class and I studied with Susan Batson at, uh, it was called Black Nexus back then. I think they've changed the name now. And um, no, I am so sorry, you guys. My first acting class with that was at HB Studios with Jean. Um, mm-hmm. I forgot her last name. And if I can keep talking about this story. So I walk in there and it was um, a scene study class. And Jean, I, I was so methodical about it, like bringing in all the props and doing the stuff and studying. And I loved it so much, like that side of theater, like how you get to analyze things and research. And it was the best experience of my life. And luckily she was, the, I know I did a good job, but I, luckily she's also the type of teacher that was encouraging. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking if that had been a bad experience, I would have walked away. You know, I'd been like, oh, that's oh, not for yeah. me. I'll try something else, you know. Yeah. But luckily, she saw whatever she saw. And that's how I began. And then after that, uh, 
getting as much as I could out of HB Studios. Then I moved on to uh, Susan Batson and um, it was more intense, you know, mm. but that's how I got started in New York. Yeah. Wow. As soon as yeah. you said you dance for Chicago Bulls, my mouth just dropped. I'm like, what? That's like, isn't that really competitive? And like, so much so. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Incredible. Wow. Yeah. To jump, to go from there to yeah. where you are now. Like, that's, wow. That's an incredible journey. Oh, gosh. Thank you. Did you and enjoy it, it? What was that experience like? It's a good question because it was, I could say it was a love hate thing a little bit because I, I know I was in my twenties at this time and my confidence, I had a lot of confidence, but I also had triggers where I was not confident. So with dancing, I mean, it was super competitive. I had to try out three times because I didn't make it the first time, the second time, and finally the third time. And this is over like four years and thousands, like you're, I was number 1000 and something one year. Um, because wow. it's also the year of the Michael Jordan era, you know, so it was seriously intense to be a part of this organization and it was a huge goal. So making it was, was pinnacle, you know, but then once I got there, I, I realized I, I, I have a problem with perfection. And so when you're an artist and I know all three of us know this, when you put perfection on your art, I think that that can cause problems. So I would dance and I'd be more concerned about, wait, where, where was I supposed to be? Was I, was I supposed to be over there? Is my arm supposed to be up, you know, rather than mm. trusting that I knew the choreography and then performing, you know, like releasing the beauty that you have within you to do what, what you're there for, you know? And so then when you have, when you are not sure, then your coaches, your teachers, your mentors, whomever, they see that you're not. And then in this case, my coaches, they've got nervous sometimes. They're like, we, we can't trust her because we don't know if she's going to trust herself. And so that turned into me being cut from, like you had to audition. For, you had scheduled games that you got to perform in, but you also had to audition for that particular game to make sure that you match the choreography set for that particular game. And so a lot of times it would be my turn, my rotation for the uh, to perform. And I would, I would screw up the audition part and I wouldn't get to dance. And so that turned into this up down of like, oh my God, I suck. I'm awful. Uh, you know, all of that stuff. So that really messed with my head in terms of me not feeling like I was good enough, even though clearly I was, you know, and yeah, I say it that like that. So because stressful. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> that makes me giggle. It was stressful. But also I say it as a conversation between us as performers and women, because we, I don't, I, I do that to myself a lot. I've gotten better now, but it's, we can really sabotage ourselves by getting into that cycle. Oh yeah. You know, and it takes a long time to get out of it. Um, but man, it was beautiful. The, the last game was, um, they, it was the last game that they won at home with Michael Jordan and it was Father's Day. And so I was able to bring my dad down into the locker room and my dad played ball too in college. And so it was just the greatest gift in terms of like, man, you know, for him to be around all those greats and, um, you know, like that kind of stuff. It was wonderful, but it was stressful. But I, it was, at this stage of my life, I know it was a fantastic learning experience. It really catapulted me to what the things that came next. Mm. So, yeah. Hmm. So as former 
uh, MBA dancer to investment to actor. Like, so how did this all translate to writing for you? Like, is there anything you pulled from that? Yes. Well, after I started studying acting, um, I was in, as everyone, I was in some terrible plays and I thought in one of them, I was like, oh my God, like if this person can do this, certainly I can do <laughs> Right. And I know you've all been there. I know it. So I was like, and I, and in my acting class, I was studying Billie Holiday. I love the forties and stuff. And so I was studying Billie Holiday and looking at who was she without the gardenia because you know you do all this research and she's this she's that she's a prostitute but then you read her book and she says she's not a prostitute or she wasn't you know so I wrote a play called House Rules and um, I have Billie Holiday go into this bar in rural America somewhere in the south and the rule the how one of the house rules is who you are out there nobody cares in here and so I stripped her of all the things that we're supposed to know about her. And then you get to know like who she could have been or who she was or so on. So that was my first, I feel like that was my first like real play. And that started in New York. And then, um, and I finally, I forgot what year I started it, but I, I did it finally. My friend and I self-produced it in LA in 2009. Like it was, yeah, so it took it took a good like six, seven years for it to come to life. But that I'll say that that was my I put my pin in that one. It's like my first getting into it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. had a other guest a while back who like his moment when he decided to start writing plays was he was in an audition. He was an actor. And he said to the director, he was like, this play is so bad. I she was like, first of all, don't say that in an audition. <laughs> and second of all, I want to see your play. <laughs> you know? like, I love it. Yeah, oh, that's so great. Good. Exactly. So, you know, it's inspiration. Yeah. It's another form yeah. of inspiration. Cool. So um, in the process of writing and um, what are some things you learned the way, like, Mm-hmm. some like uh, your own processes or um, strategies like what what have you what did you start to notice about your development Ooh, that is a good question and I think just to bring it recent since the thing that the program that Sarah and I are in um oh okay so part of it so I bring up the play that I'm working on in that and it's called unexplained infertility and this play is um it's, it's about uh, partly about my fertility journey infertility journey, but also my journey with being in a, in an, um, a verbally abusive relationship. And so those two things are, of course, are incredibly emotionally, um, hard. And so in part of my process, um, okay. So I'm one of my gifts that I consider a gift is that I'm really good at writing about pain and I'm good about, I'm good with somehow people feel that they are with me in the, in it, you know? Mm. And so I just poured everything on the, um, 
on the page. And actually, I'm getting confused. I meant I was writing two plays at the same time. This play, Unexplained, is not the one I did with Sarah. Sarah, did, we're working on something mm. else. But I will continue with what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I was like, wait, I'm getting it mixed up. So in Unexplained Infertility, I all those things, my guts are like on the page. And then I'm realizing as it goes through, you know, like the women, the actors are, are with me. They're feeling the pain and all this stuff. And then at one point, someone's like, Pepper, this is painful. You know, like it's too painful. Like, and so what the part of my process I learned is that, okay, I can get all the stuff out and then go back and find more of the story and the nuances and, mm. and all that stuff. And, and also to, to let go. I know that that's something all of us, you know, we, ha you have to let go as an artist, let go of words, let go of scenes. Um, and I've just learned that the fun part or the exciting part or the chilling part is that that let go phase is going to come, you know, yeah. like I look forward to knowing that I have the freedom to do that, even though I don't have to do it right then. Does that make sense? So, yeah. And so I'm curious to know, like, what are some of the changes you've made um, to, to kind of mitigate that pain mm. in the play? Yeah. I, one friend who's close to me, he listened to a reading and he said, um, it's like Pepper, I, I kind of hear you. He didn't know my story, but he's like, I hear you in there and we need to love this mm. woman. We need, we need to see how wonderful she is. And I realized that, um, um, I realized that I wasn't letting her shine, you know? And so I had to go back and just start over. And my, um, my mentor in, this is all circle X. So my, my mentor in circle X, her name is Megan Brown. And I think obviously, sorry, like you don't know her, I think. And, um, so Megan's like, Megan said, give yourself the permission to either number one, write out of order, just write something new that you don't think you may or may not use. And, um, yeah, those basically those two things, write out of order and, and just, get it out, you know, just write something new. Mm -hmm. So I, in taking that note of make us love her, I, uh, I started working at this morning actually. And I just started writing her joy. Like I put her in a joyful moment and I surrounded her joyful things that make the character happy. And then, um, I'm going to see how I can use that, uh, to, to, weave her, you know, to bring her in, to literally bring her in, you know, she was, kind of oppressed, oppressed, oppressed because of circumstances. And I was like, well, of course everyone can see how lovely she is, but no, they, they weren't able to see. Yeah. And, you know, and going yeah. on that, I don't know if you guys, how you guys write, but when I am writing these, these um, moments, especially when they're related to me, I notice um, a trend where I've, I'm subconsciously sometimes not giving myself a voice like giving that character a voice and I'm realizing cause that's how I, I sort of feel in life sometimes. Uh -huh. um, so like, I think yeah. you're recreating uh, something you feel, Yes. but then when other yes. people see that they, it might actually help to tell the story better if you share some of what you would say. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and in taking that note, I've also gotten much better taking notes. Um, I 
I uh, realize, you know, you just get to turn, you get to turn to the right or to the left or look up or look down. No, like I would rather look up. You get to look up and see something else, you know, rather than what's been right in front of you literally on the screen. And, um, you know, and, and then see more. Yeah. You just, you can see. This is why I think like writing plays is just one of the most powerful and I guess empowering, and that's the word I'm looking for, art forms. And I see this with my students, like especially high school students, when they're given a chance to write about something they've experienced. And then yeah. there's that moment where they can change the story. You know, it's like yes. they're creating a character that's based on them and maybe the family is based on their family mm, or yeah. like, you yeah. know, some like oppressive teacher or something. But then there's that moment when the when they get to speak back in a way that they haven't done in real life. And it's just so empowering and magical. Um, Because they're able to say something that they haven't been able to say for whatever reason. Yeah. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah. Makes me happy. It's it's a beautiful thing. It's such a gift to do this work, you know? Yeah. And what you said with your students and be able to introduce it to people. And I just love it. Love it. Hmm. So just to shift gears a little bit, um, how has the pandemic changed the way you think about theater? Um, just recently, I was I talked about this, um, but I saw this play at Geffen Playhouse. It's got someone else's house, and they really utilize multimedia in a way that I never thought would be possible. But mm-hmm. during this time, during this, you know, we're stuck inside. I mean, as but things are reopening. But like what? What do you think like has changed independent or what do you hope to change because of the pandemic uh, for the theater, for the future of theater, I guess? Oh, man. You know, the pandemic was super um, changing, life-changing for me in that regard because um, I, I submitted to, I hadn't been writing plays at all honestly, guys, like I had stopped because Mm. I was just, I was tired of, um, I was before I, my model was I would write something and I would produce it. And I did that for years and years and years and it's exhausting. And it was, Mm -hmm. it was expensive, you know, like I was hand to foot with a hand to mouth. (laughs) (laughs) It's like that's hand to mouth, foot disease, whatever. I was, I was hand to mouth all the time and putting in all of my money into my art. And it just was exhausting and not always fulfilling. So I say that in the terms of, so I I stopped creating theater and just directing or being behind the scenes and so on. And then I was writing fiction. I I write fiction as well. So when pandemic hit, um, Laura Death was doing the pandemic plays. And so I submitted to it and I wrote a play about uh, this woman character, uh, an older woman with a younger man. I wanted to spin the the thought, and um, and that was so freeing, you know. I was, and it brought me back to writing, and that mm-hmm. catalyst turned, I think, into where I am now. Like I, I, I took a chance and I submitted to things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, and kind of like the, the lovables, the dancing thing, I had just sort of given up because I, I haven't, you know, I haven't been told 50 million times because I haven't asked 50 million times, but I've been told enough no's that I was like, 
oh God, like I just, I hate that process. So I found the courage to apply to things. And let's be honest, this whole, I, I'll continue with my thought. Part of me thinks that I got a lot of the opportunities this year because I am a black woman mm. and, you know, and because people were like, okay, we're opening the doors and we're looking at people. Now there, there's that one side and I want to um, interrupt myself and say this story. So I, um, I went to Marquette university in Milwaukee, which is mostly, um, you know, mostly all white, just not very diverse. But I wanted to go to Howard, which is um, an HBC, uh, historically black college. So I wanted to go to there. And I was having a conversation with my mom and my stepmom. I'm sorry, with my stepmom and her friend. They're from Mississippi. They're black. And that friend had said, um, I excelled at Marquette quite a bit. I, I still have my track record there. I was the senior speaker. Like I did a lot and I excelled a lot and I was awarded a lot. And we were having a conversation and she's like, well, if Pepper had gone to Howard, would she have not excelled because she would have been, she wouldn't have stood out so much. Like she would have been like everyone else, you know? And I found it super insulting, but it was super intriguing. And so I, that stayed with me because it also takes away maybe, no, not maybe it takes away who I am. I am a go-getter. I am a person who excels and I am talented. I know that. So in this moment, this pandemic moment where people are listening to our voices of color, I'm like, well, is my voice, I know my voice is great. I know it is. Thank God I can say that finally. Like, I know it's good. So, but was I chosen because my voice is good or because I'm a black woman or because of both? And so, but I'm also, I bring it up in this conversation, but I'm also not purposefully dwelling on it. Because number one, I don't want to. And number two, I'm like, if the freaking door is open, I'm walking in. Yeah. Yeah, And like, I mean, it's just so hard. It's just so unfair that you have to think about it that way. Because like straight white men never spend time thinking like, did I get this opportunity because I'm a white man? Although they should be thinking, because like probably the answer is yes. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right? Um. You know, yeah, and so, so that's, so that's how pandemic changed for me. And it was, man, I have gotten so many opportunities, but I tried, you can't not, you can't get anything if you don't try for God's sakes. So I finally, you know, so, and I think I tried because I knew that people were open and they were listening honest, that that's the truth for me. I'm like, well, maybe now, like maybe someone will actually, Mm. you know, do something so anyway that's and so that is how this experience has been and because I was more confined um to not doing 50 million other things Mm -hmm. I was able to bring my brain in and focus just a bit on something that I've always since that play in the backyard have loved you know yeah yeah so so during this (laughs) pandemic year have you discovered mm-hmm. any other new artists recently that you're really excited about or? Oh my um, gosh. One person is sitting right here. Sarah And I'm being super duper honest. And Sarah, like this, we, she and I have this email exchange because, you know, I haven't, I haven't been around a lot of writers. I haven't been a lot of, around a lot of writers, um, who are, you know, brown like me. And it's like, um, 
I kind of forgot exactly what the question was, but I'm just going to continue. So this feeling, oh yeah, being exposed. So I was I've been exposed to so many writers this year, just in my circle, you know, not even going out and reading people I don't know, but reading the people who I've been introduced to through these emerging playwrights groups. And it makes me emotional. Like it has been so wonderful to listen to people and, and be inspired by them. And with Sarah and I, we were, if it's okay, Sarah, I can talk about it. I was, I messaged her and I said, um, man, like for once in our lives, my life, I get to write a play with all black characters instead of having to put in the one white person or the one this or the one that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dude, like we've, you know, and Sarah, I don't know, I forget like if you had done it before, but it was this freedom. um, And it's not because someone said, oh, Pepper, go write all black play. I just was like, I don't, I don't care anymore. Like I just, Mm, and because of that, and Sarah and I got a moment to bond over that just a bit of um that you know yeah and so I mean I that's that's the answer is like this is the people in my neighborhood you know this has been awesome awesome yeah um when you emailed me and like it it was such a nice feeling of recognition of like because I I too you know I feel like I've been like writing and I just feel like it was so it's been I don't know why, but it's just been really difficult to just like find people who like get you. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um yeah. and so to like yeah, and to hear plays out loud and with people that understand you and like coming from you, it just uh, it was such it's it's been incredible, like almost it's just been life changing for me to be like, why why yeah. was why did I why was I so accommodating for other people? <laughs> like oh, to yes. like to like follow their rules or like to play by them or their game or like it's just I just felt like I've been doing that for so long for to accommodate others yes. and never allowing myself to to just embrace like step in like where you're just saying like you know what f this like I'm going yeah. in I'm stepping through that door <laughs> so well, yeah I feel like yeah. they kept they said you had to you know and yeah. like they one did. of the things that the pandemic has made clear is that so many of our assumptions about theater were just false like there's so much that was just based on lies (laughs) and now the scales have fallen from our eyes and like we really can't ever go back because um now we know that a lot of that was just false to begin with yeah yeah and speaking of well two things did you guys see the film 40 year old version did you not yet i really want was it amazing It was really good. I enjoyed it a lot. So the themes come up in that in that film. Okay, so that's that's bad. So watch it if you can. And then the other thing is that okay, so right, like there's no going back, but uh, the but like, are we still in in a position of power Mm. to? You know, to yes, the conversation I believe will continue. That's never going to stop. Thank God. And then, but will the people in power? still go back to the model because it's it has made money you know this is what I'm super curious about I think it's changing and I don't think it's gonna not stop changing Mm. yeah I said it right I think it will continue to change um but will it continue to change in the way that we're all championing championing um and have been I don't know what do you guys think Hmm. hmm That's a real head scratcher for me. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, yeah. cause, um, 
yeah, I, as things are like reopening and things are, there is this like, oh, there's this feeling of like, I want to go back to everything the way it is, you know, yeah, or this like yeah. attitude. There's some people kind of like, but then at the same time, there, I feel like there's this tension of like, yes, but we need, you know, we need to progress. We need to like, we can't go back mm. to the way things are, were. And, um, and so I know it's, it's with that tension, it makes me think that, um, there will be progress, but maybe it'll be slow, <laughs> but, but yeah. I'm just hoping in like, um, like what Sam said, it's like, you know, the scales have fallen off. Like it's like yes. people, I think the awareness is there now of, like, Agreed. yeah. And Sam, what do you think? Well, I'm, I feel very conflicted. Like I want to be optimistic and say like, we can only move forward now. But I do think, even as I say that, that there's a real desire among some people mm. and some institutions to, mm -hmm. you know, to return, um, to return to the way things were before the pandemic. Yeah. So I think um, it, you know, maybe we have to fight against that Hmm. Um, yeah. Impulse. And maybe it will be tiered. I'm thinking, you know, maybe mm -hmm. the Broadway's maybe not so much there yet because they're so ingrained. You know, I'm thinking like the layers of systemic stuff. Like it's been to, to tackle that. Well, crap, like I'm trying not to swear. <laughs> like maybe, maybe, you know, sometimes maybe it's just. I was going to say, maybe I'll take time to peel back the stuff, but some of it is like, no, if you just take a hammer and break everything, mm -hmm. then you just go, you know? So that's why I stopped myself. I'm like, well, no, it doesn't have to be that way. But um, the other point I was going to make is maybe it will be tiered is if the powers that be at each of these levels, um, if we have more power at level B, you know, and um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like if that we, it will, okay. it'll like instead of trickle up, it will trickle. I mean, instead of trickle down, it will trickle up. <laughs> like the yeah. changes will. Yeah, mm. yeah, something like that. Or, or maybe it goes back to the reason I self-produced is because I could tell my stories and I didn't need anyone else, um, except for literally like another friend or someone to help me produce. I didn't care about the rest of the engine, and so maybe, maybe we not go back to that, but maybe more people will do that again. Um, I'm talking in circles just a little bit. Like, I don't want to go back to self-producing. You know, I don't, yeah. I shouldn't have to self-produce just to get my story told. It's That's, so exhausting. It's, it's exhausting. Yeah. And I don't think it's fair. It's, it's liberating. Right. I agree. It's not fair. That it's some not people, fair. You know, that, that yeah. it, it does feel like there's just really different systems in place for different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And so then on the, on the positive side, so then if it's like, yeah, the trickle up, like, okay, here and here and here, and we just keep pushing and hammering and, um, you know, and, and make these changes. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting. I even ha I had an interview with someone, there's a company in New York that does the marketing for Broadway shows. Mm -hmm. And um, I, in the interview, I said, um, in all transparency, I, I'm curious about how, you know, how you're handling um, speaking to people of color and all that kind of stuff. I never, 
ever. Mm. I'm 50 years old, by the way. I never would have said that before. And this pandemic year and our, you know, this past year and a half, I've stepped into that part of myself where I'm like, I'm, I'm going to speak up. I'm going to be nervous about it sometimes, but I'm going to speak up. And in this moment, she's like, I appreciate that you said that because we've been talking about it too. Mm. And that was super, and this is what I mean in the tears. So this is the marketing side, right? So if the marketing side for theater can make some changes, that's definitely a place that we can include and or start, you know? So, and that was, that was my, that was my, um, (laughs) like my, my, um, Joan of Arc, like that was my flag. I'm like, well, if, on this phone call with her, if I can say something here, then that's something, you know, right. To keep making change. So that's, I'm challenging myself anyway. Wow. And, and, you know, (laughs) yeah. I'm hoping that like the, what I would love to see is that maybe it'll be a telling moment that like, Oh, things are changing is maybe when people stop creating GoFundMe pages for their <laughs> projects, like, please right. donate to me. Like, and I mean, like, it's just like, Oh, it's, it's, it's exhausting even as, yeah. as a person, but um, yeah. Um, okay. So before we move on to glisten, we have a couple more questions for you. Um, okay. So what oh, I'm just like, after listening to just your whole life, pretty much. Um, what, I'm just trying to figure out, like, what what advice would you give to playwrights who are in, you know, in this position of, like, I want to make this change in my life, mm-hmm. but I'm afraid to or, like, I can't. Or, like, what advice would you give to those people who are in between or making those big moves? Oh gosh. Can I ask you another question? When we yeah. say like a big move, what what We're, kind what kind do we think that is? Because that's important at this mm, stage. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the big move it's like it just changing your course. Like maybe you're Ooh. on a certain path of like like, oh, I'm I thought I was trained, I was, you know, made mm. to think this way, and now I just wanna change that. Like, um, I'm trying to think of my own life. <laughs> um, like, you know, like for f- almost like three, four years, I was in publicity, entertainment, publicity, PR, thinking like, I guess this is it. I'm stuck yeah. here, you know, uh, totally. until I had this like realizing like, I don't have to be here. <laughs> like, I don't need to do this. And I just started like looking elsewhere. But um, that realization, it it took a while for me to realize that because yeah because I was kind of like just dependent on that um, thinking or like that thinking in that position. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Thank you. So I think that, okay, I'm going to go at it from a core, a core um, value something. So I think that the advice is that we have as a, as people, you know, we have to get out of the thinking that about status quo, we have to get out of the status quo sort of, um, of, um, way of life. So I, like I said, I, I, I worked in investments because I couldn't get a job after graduating. I was, I was an advertising major. I'm going to go back even further. When I went into college, (laughs) 
<laughs> when I went into college, I was a business administration major. Why? Because my dad said I need to do that so I can get a job. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I ran track and I, I, I was in a class, um, a night class in a stats, some stupid math class. Okay. And it was nighttime. I'm like, I hate this. I started crying. I'm like, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. So I finally had to stop doing what I didn't want to do, speak up for myself and change my major to advertising. So I go into advertising, big win for me, yay. And then I get out of college and I can't get a job. Now I'm like, oh, I might get open the door. Who cares? So I'm like, why can't I get a job? So then my dad's, so we had a little nepotism, right? My dad's friend from college hired me at his company. And that's how I got a job. And number two, and then I stayed in investments for six years because I would, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I was supposed to do. Um, now everything I learned there has helped me. I learned how to manage money. I learned a lot, um, peripherally, but I did it because I was supposed to. So, you know, we have, if we, the core thing I'm trying to get at is if we keep doing what we're supposed to, oftentimes we won't get to what we want to do. And I do believe that if you get to your passion and what you want to do, I do think that things fall in place. Now, there's the part of money, there's a part of eating, there's a part of paying rent, there's a part of quality of life. And those things are very real. And um, so sometimes what we want to do doesn't feed us. But if we can find a way to keep pushing, then I just I believe in the things like, you know, the universe and, and, and higher power and whatever. I do think that things fall into place if you're able and I mean able in terms of even that turns into privilege and those, those other things like I'm oh, Sarah, I'm married too. I got married and um, <laughs> congratulations. So. Um, you're welcome. We eloped in December. And, oh, cool. Um, yeah, it was fun. We were supposed to do, Mar- you know, November, do the whole big thing. But um, our COVID change just turned us into eloping in Santa Barbara. And it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And Well, um, congratulations. Oh, thank Beautiful. you so much. It's, it's been awesome. I'm really happy. Um, but I will say that partnership, um, partnership has given me a lot of freedom that I did not have before. And I say this to be transparent and I say it to be open and um, all of that. So, um, mm-hmm. and my, my friend Tina and I, we talk about it a lot because we look at like, um, um, who's the, the brand, Chanel, Coco Chanel. And we talk about her and some other women and, you know, they marry these husbands that have a crap ton of money. And, um, and then you see they flourish and we're like, dude, do we have to be partnered and partnered mm. with someone with money in order to do what we need to do? Like, is that for, and she's like, is that for real, for real? Like, is this a real thing? And I'm, I'm still curious about it, honestly. Now, partnership doesn't have to be romantic. It doesn't have to be married, but it could be producers. I've done no show without another producer. And usually it's a friend, you know, another uh, woman friend that we're like, dude, let's do this. Mm. Um, you know, like a partnership is, I don't know, a grant. I don't know. Like we're, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And so I think that in order into bringing it back to the question, in order to not do what you're supposed to do, you have to find the way to do what you want. Like, I feel like the supposed to is, almost easier yeah. because everything is there to make you do it. Yeah. And if you want to It kind of feels the- like the supposed to is kind of 
looking backwards, like what has worked in the past, right? Yes, or yes, um, yes, people yes, are giving yes, you yes. advice about that, like might have been relevant twenty years ago. Whereas what you want is looking forward, and so Absolutely. and nothing is going to change. Like you're not going to grow if you're looking backwards, and Absolutely. opportunities are not going to grow for you, and the world is no. not going to change if you're looking. Backwards. And sometimes. Yes. And sometimes that's leaving friends behind, leaving Mm. family behind, leaving beliefs behind so that you can look forward. And that really is the um, that really is the advice is to look forward, you know, and to do what you want. Um, And it comes with freaking sacrifice. Yeah. You know, we don't people don't get to come to our weddings. We didn't. How many weddings did I miss because I couldn't afford to go anywhere? that kind of stuff, but you still have to keep, keep, you just, the advice is to keep looking forward. I love that you said that, Sam, like, or, you know, keep looking forward and, um, and find your way to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not easy. Like it ain't easy. Yeah. All three of us know that. Um, but I think that's how I really do. I think that it's like, Oh, let me take a chance here. Let me, let me do something different here. Let me ask somebody, that I wouldn't have asked something of before, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. That's what okay, I believe. Well, Pepper, here's a fun question just okay. to change things up before we <laughs> wrap up. Um, no, I mean, this is more like a game question. This is like just, just like, just for kicks. Okay, for kicks. <laughs> so if you were going to have a dinner party with three playwrights, living or dead, you can invite anybody oh. you want, who would you pick? Oh, my God. <laughs> dinner party, dinner party. Okay. Well, I want to have – I want to invite Lorraine Hansberry because oh, – yes. oh. Right, because I realized she died so early. Yeah. And I would love for her – my, do I invite her as a ghost or do I invite her from before? <laughs> That's the major thing so that we could, I think I would like to invite the ghost so that we could see what happened and all of that. So, okay. So Lorraine would be one. Cool. Um, okay. Who else? This is really strange. Okay. So Lanford Wilson, do you guys know Lanford uh-huh. Wilson? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. So that Lanford was introduced to me in um, one of my theater classes and I was like, who is this guy? And do you guys know that for the longest I thought he was black? <laughs> because he's not. My, my one of my, and I thought, oh, the, the teacher's giving me this guy because he's black. And then just recently I, I looked him up. I'm like, this guy isn't black. I feel and, like I thought that too when I first like read a play by him or something. I don't right. know why. I don't yeah. know why either. And maybe he was just writing about black people. I don't know. So I would invite him because I would like to be, I'm curious now about his voice in like, what was going on? Mm-hmm. Or not, not so much like what was going on, but what was it, what was affecting you, you know, to write these stories? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And then, oh my gosh, now this other one better be good. So <laughs> I feel like it should no be pressure. someone. Don't put pressure on yourself. I know. Hold on. And the thing is, is that I don't read a whole lot of plays. And so I'm, I'm judging myself because I don't, I can't be like, oh, so-and-so and so-and-so. So I'm going to choose Sarah. And so <laughs> and nice. we're going to have a lovely, lovely time. That's fantastic. <laughs> right? Oh my That's God. awesome. I like that dinner party. I we love it. Time. I'm so happy to be invited. 
<laughs> I was just thinking, like, I, want, I, I think I thought too Lenford Wilson was a black, but I kind of thinking, like, do you think people were getting confused with him with August Wilson? <laughs> like, I don't know. Wilson? oh, like, maybe, well, maybe, but I was introduced before I knew about August Wilson, oh, so okay. yeah, and it's crazy. And Sam, maybe can you come too? <laughs> I'll just show up. up. Just yeah, show, eating and I'll be like, here I am. <laughs> okay, if this was a potluck, um, I would bring pie. Like, mm. I would bring pie. Ooh, but what kind? What kind? Oh, okay. Um, I would bring. You know, <laughs> I'm only only because I just made this yesterday. Yeah. Um, but um, it would be like peaches and cream pie, which oh <laughs> is like yum. Not what I expected to be, but I was like, this is really good. It's kind of custardy. Um, so and the peaches would be in season because it's summertime. So I'm hoping your uh, dinner is during the summer. <laughs> okay. Yes. For you, yes. Okay, thank Ooh, you. That sounds lovely. That does nice. sound lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Um, okay. So, okay, Pepper. So where yeah. can our listeners find you? Oh, okay. So uh, my our, your listeners can find me <laughs> on um, my blog, which is where I love people to read my words. So they can go to penandpepper.com and pepper is P-E-P-P-U-R. So P-E-N-A-N-D pepper.com. And um, all of my socials are pepper the hot one. <laughs> yes. It's so fun. A friend gave me that years, years. He's like, you're the hot one. I, I am. And you know what? And I finally stepped into it. I'm like, I am the hot one. I am. And so then I put it on all my stuff. So um, oh, amazing. Pepper, yeah. And my email is even pepper at hotmail. Like that's how long I've had it. But I'm like, how freaking lucky am I to have pepper at hotmail.com? I can never let it go so those are the places that people can find me and I do have a women's brand um if I can say it. so I did start a, a dinner theater show when I got to LA in 2004 based on what we just talked about I did want to be a singer and I had all these songs and I wanted to be a pussycat doll and I wasn't and so I created a burlesque dinner theater show called Harlem's Night performed by the Brown Whoa. Bettys yeah, and so I, I trademarked the Brown Betty's name and over this, you know, it's become my life's work and it's a women's uh, empowerment lifestyle brand now. Um, so brownbetties.com and that's B-R-W-N-B-E-T-T-I-E-S. Um, so Brown Betty's and that's my other, the other part of my life and where I empower women and um, um, yeah, and, t- and speak to us and do things. Awesome. And we'll make sure to link those in our show notes. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Thank you. Check it out. Thank you. All right. So this is Glistens. It's our part of the show where we um, just talk about what caught our attention during the week. It could be a headline, a new music you found, or new artist. Um, I'll start first. Okay. Is, um, I have really gone into Sudoku. <laughs> and like, you know, I'm not into – word search or crossword puzzles ironically even though i'm like oh i write but like i just don't like those um and but then sudoku i just i like got into it and i'm like wow it discovered this thing in me where i just love logic for some reason like (gasps) like i i hate math but i love algebra Um, so so it's like oh it's kind of this this like element in me i'm like oh i love it um 
And I was like researching a little bit like, how did this game come about? And like, I learned that it was actually invent or like modernized by this American architect named Howard Garns in 1979. But then Japan basically like, it just (laughs) took off in Japan. And I think the name it's like, let me see, it's like, it's called I'm going to try to pronounce this, but like Suji wa Dokushini Kajidu, Kagiru. And oh, then, wow. and then, so like it, it, it's an abbreviation became Sodu, so, uh, Sudoku. And then, so, and then Japan trademarked it. I just thought that was like a funny, like, it's this, like, uh, yeah, it's like modernized by like an American ar- architect, but then like popularized by Japan. <laughs> so, um, oh, I thought that was like an interesting, funny, and now I'm obsessed with this game and I just can't stop. Do you do like <laughs> the really, really it. big ones? Really big ones? What do you mean? Yeah, there are ones because I think the standard one is three by three. Oh yeah, boxes. But then there are some that are like huge. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm still a beginner, so yeah, three by three <laughs> for me right now until I uh, progress and get better at it. Yeah. But it's just so fun because I've been like trying to find something to do when you like when you're at an airport or something you know like yeah. i need that one thing that's like Ooh. more than just reading or like on your phone you know like i need that one thing and like i'm so happy to just dis- discover it's Sudoku. kind of soothing yeah it is it is yeah oh good for you thank you you're welcome <laughs> so that's my listen okay well my listen is i went to this farm dinner the other night at my <gasps> favorite farm here in maine toddy pond farm i'm gonna miss it so much <laughs> Um, and it was so nice. They had live music, um, and you could walk around and see the animals. So I saw these little piglets, really cute. And then ate amazing food. And it was just, I, you know, they had to cancel all their dinners last year because of COVID. And it was just so nice that it was all starting up again. Oh, I love that. And just, are you moving? Yeah. I am moving to Boulder, Colorado in oh, two weeks. Yeah. Good for you. Change is coming. I know. Big <laughs> change. Yeah. Oh my God, so, man. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you. That's nice. You're welcome. Very exciting. So what's your glisten? Okay, my glisten happened right before this. I got very lucky. I I was gonna <laughs> say my glisten was actually cleaning the kitchen. We just yeah. moved, or not just, we moved a month ago to Phoenix and we have a house and I have never had to do so much cleaning in my life. And so when I got the kitchen cleaned, I was really happy. But even more on brand for us right now, um, sadly, my husband's father passed away last year, July, and he walked in here this, this morning and he's like, and he gave me this box of pens. Okay. So I want to describe mm. it to you. So his dad smokes cigars. So it's literally in a um, wood cigar box and it smells like tobacco and minty tobacco, but I'm going to make a sound effect for you. Can you hear this? Oh, probably not because of headphones. Can you hear all these pens? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I am literally holding on to like 40 colorful gel pens of the rainbow. So like six different greens and pinks and golds and everything. And they're the gel writer pens. Oh, so his dad was an artist and he painted these beautiful, beautiful, vibrantly colored um, paintings of sports and landscapes and stuff. And so Matt walked in and he's like, here's my dad's pens. I'm like, Oh my God. So there's a huge glisten because they're pens and pen and pepper. And I love, love, like I, sometimes I can't even work because I can't find the right pen. So 
this is a gorgeous glisten for today that I will share with you guys. What's your favorite color of the pens in front of you? (laughs) Um, I mean, magenta family is my favorite and these don't have, they must have numbers that I can't see. I'm going to, so the magenta family, we'll just Mm, leave it at that. I love it. Oh, I love you guys. Magenta family. That sounds like the name of a play. I'm going to write it down. Good idea, magenta family. (laughs) (laughs) So that is my listen for today. Awesome. Thank you so much, Pepper, for coming on to our show. Oh, man. This is great. Thank you. And it's, you know, it's funny, these things, because they really, they end up, if you're lucky, they light your own fire you know you get excited and you really you remember why you do what you do mm. and you get excited and you remind yourself that man I gotta go and make a phone call that I don't want to make or you know what I mean like mm. the, the look forward part that stuff it reminds me like yeah man go do it yeah. um and then to share space with you guys and to support you and and you know to having this endeavor that and it's not easy to do podcasts it takes a lot of work and I just appreciate you guys asking me to be part of it. And I wish you the best Aww. and just keep going. Aww, you got thank this. You. You're well, welcome. we appreciate you. Thanks. For having this inspiring conversation with us. Yeah. I love it. This is important. This stuff is important in life. So thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Beckett's Babies. If you enjoyed what you heard or learned a thing or two about playwriting, be sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And if you'd like to reach out and share with us your thoughts on playwriting and theater or maybe be a guest on the show, uh, be sure to visit our website at www.beckettsbabies.com. That's www.beckettsbabies.com, and you can contact us there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.